4: and fish can coexist peacefully.
1: Read my
4: lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House.
1: Yeah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people.
3: It's a boring week. <laughs> I know, it's not a joke at this point. There's just so much shit to go over. Every, every day. <laughs> I, I could not be happier that this is done. I'm, I'm so happy. I don't know, whatever your opinion of it is, you should just be happy that it's done. You can talk about something else. <laughs> but we're going to talk about it for at least 20 minutes today, so so wait for that. Anyways, hi guys. Uh, Barcelona Politics. Uh, I'm your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill... Uh, 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 wow, I almost... Combine your names, uh, <laughs> Dr. Bill Mott from North Central College, and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hey, Nick.
0: It wouldn't have been the first I- time that our names got confused and merged and stuff.
3: Yep, that sounds right. <clears throat> <clears throat> and then with all the, the late breaking news, we uh, recalled our senior legal analyst from uh, from uh, the Caribbean. Uh, Tom Cavanaugh is with us today. Hi, Tom. How are you?
1: Nick, it's so excellent to be here. These big government institutionalists have run amok in my absence. <laughs> Literally. Some excellent libertarian fresh air
3: <laughs> to come. <laughs> well, before we get to that... Um, all the usual fun stuff. Uh, if you guys uh, like the podcast, questions, comments, beer suggestions, anything like that, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Beers that we try, you can find on Untapped uh, on iOS or Android. Just look for Barstool Politics on there uh, to share the podcast. Uh, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. We always appreciate the support. Uh, and then our merch line you can find on teespring.com. Uh, you'll find a direct link on our social channels. Um, I think I mentioned it last week. I, I got my my uh, fish and uh, human coexist T-shirt, which I was, I was very pleased with. It was very comfortable. Top-notch quality. Top-notch quality good joke that apparently my my fiance just thought i got a a coexist t-shirt like i was some sort of hippie and i wasn't (laughs) real pleased about it so and then i explained you know i regarded that as a compliment Mm -hmm. there's there's the generation gap (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i go no it's just a dumb joke that we came up with but anyways um we have so much to talk about impeachment uh caucuses Uh, State of the Union and pizza. Wait for the pizza round, because that's really where the meat of this conversation is going to be. But anyways, uh, Bill, uh, give us a rundown of the impeachment.
2: Absolutely. So the third presidential impeachment trial in the country's history officially came to an end today when the Senate voted to acquit President Trump on two impeachment charges brought by the House of Representatives. The acquittal came after the Senate voted 51 to 49 on Friday to reject calling any witnesses. A critical de- defeat for the Democrats. Only GO- I, I'm
0: going to jump in real quick, Bill. Do you remember my bold prediction last week? How yes. how much? Yeah, yeah. Let's just forget <laughs> about that and move on. Keep going with the with the uh, with the introduction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doggone it. I was going to bring that up.
2: <laughs> it was you were close though. You were close.
0: <laughs> but see, I was accurate in that I predicted that my prediction would be wrong. So I, <laughs> I was only half wrong on the on the whole thing.
2: That but, seems like a legal argument. Yeah, yeah. 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 So the only GOP senators, uh, Susan Collins and Mitt Romney, voted to hear witnesses. Yeah. The last couple of days have involved senators explaining their vote. A handful of senators, most notably Lamar Alexander, argued that while they considered the president's conduct on the Ukraine affair inappropriate, it did not rise to the level of an impeachable offense. When asked on Monday about the impeachment experience, Trump stated, quote, I'm not bitter. However, it has been reported that Trump is compiling a Nixonian enemies list that includes former National Security Advisor John Bolton and top House Republican. I'm sorry, top House Democrats. And Phil. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I think it's fa- fair to say that Mitt Romney will be on that list moving forward today after he voted to convict Trump on the charges Ooh. of abuse of power. So much to kick around. That's why we're lucky to have lucky to be joined by our senior legal analyst and to reflect on these historic proceedings. Tom, you've, you've been in the Bahamas. You're back. Where, where, do, you, where do you want to start?
1: I wish I was starting back there. Actually, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I got three things. Uh, The first is the difference between a trial and the impeachment process, colon, why Lamar Alexander's right. Mm -mm. Second, an ode to John Roberts. Mm. And third, what's next? So on the first one, um, we've talked repeatedly about the fact that one does not need criminal charges and that sort of thing. And I don't want to dig up the Dershowitz stuff that's been beaten to death. But what we haven't talked about is how conflating what a trial is versus the impeachment process, I think, has been a disservice uh, to Americans. So what I mean by that is this. In a a traditional trial, a jury is instructed at the beginning, and indeed during voir dire gives its word that it will do the following. Apply the law to the facts as the judge gives them the law and decide the case consistent with it in both civil and criminal trials, there's very particular elements that uh, the one bearing the burden of proof has to demonstrate. If they do, then the expectation is that there will be a conviction. So if you carry the beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal case or a preponderance of the evidence in a civil case, the expectation is that the jury will, by applying the law of the facts, convict. I think that's what people thought was gonna happen here. That is to say, if the facts were proved with or without more witnesses or that sort of thing, that the inevitable conclusion is you've got to uh, convict. And that's where the huge difference is and where the conflation, I think, is really uh, dangerous. Here, the Senate, which is the adjudicative body after the House, the investigative body sent on its uh, its articles, had two roles. The first was to hear evidence and then the sixth uh, second, was to make judgments about what to do thereafter. So I think reasonable people can disagree with Lamar Alexander's uh, conclusion, that is, that what was proven isn't enough to remove a president from office. But I thought he hit the nail directly on the head with respect to the role of the Senate. Hear the evidence, decide what's proven, but then they have a different duty than a jury. And their duty was to make a judgment about whether or not Removal of the president from office, whether it's nine months before an election or three years before an election is merited. So I, maybe you all disagree with me about that, but I uh, it, it felt right to go back and, and sort of think through why isn't this like a criminal trial and how could a guy say, well, they proved what they said they'd prove, but I'm still not voting to
2: uh, convict. And I think you've talked before that there are no there are no specific rules for this, right? I mean, the Senate yeah. comes mm-hmm. up with how they want to handle this, how they want to process mm-hmm. it and, and what the standard for deciding mm-hmm. guilt or innocence might be. Absolutely. Uh, and let's just start with the, the most
1: fundamental question in a trial is who bears the burden of proof and what is it? We don't have guidance from the Constitution other than, you know, high crimes and misdemeanors and that sort of thing. But it certainly doesn't talk about who bears the burden of proof, how high that burden is. Is the Senate obligated if facts are demonstrated to convict when a jury declines to convict where the facts show they should have, Mm -hmm. they've nullified. And I'm looking forward to talking Mm -hmm. about that topic actually the next time I'm here, but uh, here a Senator can absolutely. It seems to me say with a straight face, they've demonstrated the truth of the allegations they made, but I am voting to acquit because those things they
2: proved were not adequate to remove the president from office. I found Alexander, I'll let you Phil jump into it in a second, but I found Alexander's argument, even if I didn't, I don't always, I didn't agree with maybe the end conclusion. I Mm -hmm. found there was at least, it was refreshing in that he was engaging in the conversation Mm -hmm. about the president's conduct. And he Mm -hmm. said, yes, inappropriate, but I don't think it it, it reaches the level where we should remove him. And again, we can agree or disagree with that determination, but to say that the facts led me to this particular conclusion is better than the other conversation, which has been perfect phone call or whatnot. Like I felt that there was at least there was some integrity to yeah, that position. I, I didn't do it. Yeah. And there's no evidence that I did
1: or, uh, I did some things, but they were totally appropriate and yeah. wonderful. Now put Susan Collins in the same category because like Lamar Alexander, she basically said as a procedural matter, I accept the facts as they're given. And I think what was done, uh, I, I think she used the word stronger than inappropriate. My, my recollection is that Lamar Alexander talked about profoundly inappropriate yeah. or something like that. I think Susan Collins used a stronger word, but both said, though, uh, that does not rise to the level that in my judgment makes me, mm-hmm. I guess that's the right word, uh, vote to convict. And we can disagree about whether it should have risen to that level in their minds, but I think procedurally they got it exactly right. Yeah.
2: Phil?
0: Uh, you no. Know, I mean, I tend to agree that I, I, I think I, I, like that there is a consistency to the logic that that you know Alexander uh, uses. I find him far more compelling than Susan Collins, who just feels like is just I, she likes to play the the sort of brave senator. But you know, anyway, um, the the weird part for me is that I mean, you you can take this as a if you do step away from it as a legal proceeding and think of it as a political proceeding, then you have to think about the arguments that are being made as political arguments and and not uh, legal arguments. And so the problem with, with Lamar Alexander's approach, which is to say that this was deeply wrong, right? Like they, it is proven that he was seeking outside help in this election. Um, You know, it's, it's a, it's a real problem that he's doing it. It's just not worth removing from him from office. And also I fully endorse him and support him for reelection is a, is Mm -hmm. that's where the, where it's like, this doesn't, the, 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 the that's where it starts to feel disingenuous, right? It starts to feel like, okay, you're, you're just voting party lines. And and, and if you want to make it, if you want to just come out and in some ways, you know, at least Lindsey Graham is just like, I I refuse to do this. I'm a Republican. I'm voting Republican from the beginning. Um, And, you know, there's there's honesty to that, at least uh, as well, I think. But this feels like it's
2: been I don't know if positive is the right way, but an important development where two weeks ago it was the the Republican position was nothing has happened. There's no evidence here. This is a witch hunt. And that's not the case anymore. There is a real conversation about what the president did. At least for some. Yeah. Right. There's like three. Well, there's (laughs) more than that, right? And the fact I mean, I think the the fact that you've seen Collins Murkowski, Lamar Alexander, and then today Mitt Romney coming out and voting, you know, supporting one of those articles of impeachment. And I don't know if the listeners have have listened to him, but his eight minute speech is is really I think good. And he he talked about his faith and the way in which his faith uh, informed that decision. And you know, I I think that's an important pushback from Trump's party to say, we're not totally on board with that. Uh, When oftentimes the parties, you know, these parties are automatically reinforcing whatever the party line is. So I I thought that was an important development. No, 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 (laughs) no,
3: no. I I mean, a few years ago, he was the, the, uh, the uh, binder, uh, binders full of women. Like like, uh, People are lauding him for his, his behavior today. And he's, he hasn't changed at all. You're voting for one of the two articles, first of all. So you're kind of you know middle weighing your way through this to begin with, and then your con- the, your entire standpoint is based off of your personal convictions as opposed to the evidence presented in the case. That doesn't that doesn't mean anything to me. No, uh,
0: I don't. I don't think that's what he was saying. I think he was saying that uh, the evidence in the case is compelling, and and he could be pressured to vote a party line, mm-hmm. but his convictions lead him to vote on his what he saw, which was that the evidence was overwhelming. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little surprised, Nick, because you, I mean, you are like the thing you rail against or that, that frustrates you the most is the sort of just pure partisanship, right? Oh, People yeah. are just doing what their party says. And so I, I found it really refreshing that Mitt Romney was like this is and, and uh, at high cost, right? Like he's oh. going to get, you know, lambasted by Republicans. Trump's going to target him. Um, Jeff you know, he, did he doesn't have as much saying, just watch the blowback.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which, yeah, which the last side right. pushed exactly. That. exactly.
3: Yeah, right. oh, yeah. Like, let me let me clarify. Like, you're you're absolutely right. I do rail against that, and I I stand by that. But this is the game that we're playing. I'm not saying that it's right that this is a position that we're in. I don't necessarily agree with the way he presented his argument. I understand why he would do that, and I think it was more politically motivated than it was personally. Uh, or, or spiritually motivated, regardless of what he's saying. But this is the game that you're playing. We're talking about this being a political process. This is what it is. Like, I don't really care what your personal convictions are, because we know what the end result of this is. And this is a partisan... This is a game to begin with. For everybody, I think,
2: other than maybe Mitt Romney and Justin Amash, right? Those those are the two who can argue that, you know, they made what they – they voted their conscience on this, right? So I I do think – and that's hard to do.
0: Nick is glaring at me.
2: <laughs> I think it's hard to do that right now. I mean, it's hard for the Democrats to step out of line. There was nobody who – who defied Nancy Pelosi on this, right? And and there were very few Republicans who. So I mean, I I have I do feel good for both of them saying this is what I believe, even if it means my political future and both of their political futures will be absolutely impacted because of this.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I just I I think there's there's a deeper the I, hmm, I think the blowback for Romney especially will be a a, a um to a lesser extent, I think, than uh, what people are expecting right now. Eric, uh, not Eric Trump, uh, Don Jr. was saying today they should I kick agree. him out of the Republican I, Party. I know, but realistically, and you and I were talking yeah. about this before we started recording, there's, uh, there's at least a likely, a, a fairly good chance that, the way he was going to vote was presented to uh Republican leadership yeah. prior to this. Yeah. So this is, this didn't just come out of nowhere. Like we, you know, it's still yeah. part of the game. Right. So that means that they know what he's going to do. They're not going to kick him out of the party, which they've already signaled that they're not going to do. So this is going to lead towards something, either a realignment of his party affiliation or something else down the line where he's in some other, I don't know, political position that he's not in now. I don't think this is the end of his career. I think this this is him attempting to transform into something but, else.
0: But I in, in theory, this is how the Senate is set up. I mean, this is how it should be working for everyone. The idea behind the Senate is that you give people six-year terms. Mm-hmm. So that they are less susceptible to sort of, you know, the partisan and electoral whims that, and Romney's not up for reelection for four yeah. years. And he's from a state where Trump is not particularly uh, popular. And so the idea is that there should be more senators like Romney who are able to sort of step away from, uh, you know, the Fox News pressure or the the partisanship. I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm a, I, am am a little, I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled by your, by your <laughs> approach. I, I get it. But I mean. For you, I mean, for somebody who's who's you know so disheartened by the partisanship of everything, when someone steps away from it, uh, you, if you're also disheartened by that, then you're it's going to be a really disheartening. Everything it's <laughs> 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 disheartening. Yeah. Well,
3: well, well, Could even myself. be deeply deeply problematic. <laughs> right. no, well, I, 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 it's, I think it's regardless of what is presented, I think it's still technically partisan and politically motivated. I don't care what he's saying, whatever he he. Put forward in his eight-minute speech, we would not be having this conversation a few years ago when he was he was running for president and he he's, was the, he's evolved, he was Nick, he's he, no, <laughs> no, he he hasn't. He he's just he's very he's trying to play the game and well, to put it to put it in a in a in the context of these are your convictions and this is your religion that's guiding you in this in in this particular instance is complete and utter bullshit to me. <laughs>
4: I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let me me try an
1: argument for why what he said matters, because I think he's in the Lamar Alexander camp, but I'm not quite so ready to throw Collins under the bus as as Phil is. Um, It actually relates to the third of the three uh, three things I mentioned, the future. Setting the bar for impeachment in the future is maybe the most important thing that's going to happen in this proceeding. If it becomes a regular partisan uh, way to do essentially electoral politics, Mm -hmm. this will turn out to be, I think, one of the 10 most important things that's happened in American history. If as Romney, Alexander and Collins, and, and, and some others as well said, listen, the evidence is strong. It was, it was deeply inappropriate, but taking a president who has been elected by the people out of office, is a thing the framers thought should be done only under enormously unusual circumstances. You need a two-thirds vote, for goodness sakes. There's not many things in America where you need two-thirds to do a thing. So I think what they said was important in the sense that they're trying to lay the foundation for a high bar for impeachment. Now, we could argue about whether we think that should be true or not. I happen to think that, but I, I can see reasonable people might disagree. What what appeals to me here is they've said this is really serious and we're looking to the future, not just to a president who may or may not be here for nine months or, mm-hmm. or four years. That that's why it mattered to me.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I- I I think you're right, and I I think people have, uh, you know, I've heard other people making that same argument that we set a precedent here, and if we, you know, impeach on this, then we set a precedent that way. But the flip side of it is also true, which is failure to convict also sets a precedent Mm -hmm. in that uh, if if the idea is, you know, in this case, the, the president did some, you know, they Mitt Romney, Lamar Alexander are right. The the evidence is there; it is overwhelming that he did stuff that is inappropriate, and so if you turn around and say this, you know, working with a foreign government, you know, uh, whatever, directing funds inappropriately, holding up stuff for personal gain. If that is not enough to remove from office, there is also a danger of setting a precedent, which is that it is mm-hmm. impossible to impeach a president. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I that's why I appreciate the Romneys mm-hmm. who appear to be thoughtful about this, right? Who are really thinking through, um, you know, why, why well, you know, I, I, so it's I don't think it's a surprise that I, I think that they he he should have been convicted, um, and so that, I, I appreciate the Romneys. But I also appreciate you no, know, there are others. There were Democrats who really who up until the last minute hadn't made clear which way they were going to vote. I like that people we thoughtful
2: about. I, it. I wonder how involved Mitch McConnell was in those conversations. Did he express some the similar concerns to say that it's not just, you know, we don't want impeachment to be occurring every four years, but also that we have to send a signal to the president. You don't think so? That, that this is inappropriate? Because <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think those senators could have gone rogue on their own. I think there had to be some conversation. McConnell had to give some consent to say, yes, it's OK to push back. To some degree, because that that really is important to say this was in a not everybody, but some in the party had to say that. You don't think so, Phil?
0: I think there's a reason why there's only a handful who are saying it, and the ones that are saying it are the Mitt Romneys, who has nothing to left to prove, right? His he he has done the presidential run, he's been elected senator, he I, he's got you know four years until he's up for reelection again. The Lamar Alexander's who are retiring, I, I think that that the reason why the ones who are saying it. Are kind of out at mm. the fringes are because they, they because McConnell has less control over mm. them. I, I you know I think if McConnell had his way, uh, Mitt Romney would not have absolutely would not have voted to convict today. Um, you know Lamar Alexander would have been very clearly in line with no this with the the party sure. message that nothing was wrong, and even if there is something wrong, it's not that's big of deal. It's, it, it's yeah. right. that's one plausible way to think about it. Another is that McConnell is so shrewd
1: that leaving room for dissent. Suggested a greater level of reasonableness on his side than the other, and I, you know, obviously we're just we're speculating about what he thought and did. Uh, I'm I'm interested because it seemed like when I said the bar might get lower, I saw Bill. Uh, nodding. Yes. <laughs> yeah. as, as though he is so good idea. I, I don't want the bar to
2: get lowered. Oh, right? you yeah. No, no, okay. no. I'm, I'm saying I was agreeing with you. Right. I, I worry about this. I, I go back and forth because I find myself, you know, I think my comparative politics brain thinks about the British system where prime ministers are removed all the time. It's right. no big deal. Right. And are we heading in that direction, which I think is is not a good thing right because our system is different the the process of removing is more painful more divisive so i think there's real value to say if the voters make a choice we should respect that choice unless there is something so you know troubling that we have to and i i i think what we've seen out of trump does rise to that level but i'm worried that if this becomes just a partisan dynamic nobody wins then then nothing gets done It is literally about getting one guy in and finding some reason to remove them. So no, I think that's part of what Alan Dershowitz was trying to
1: get after. Now, I don't want to be an apologist for what was an unclear Mm -hmm. and and difficult to defend argument. But at the end of the day, I think the claim he's trying to make is that all the framers didn't say you needed a crime. They did say it's got to be something of earth-shaking importance. Mm -hmm. And, And again, we might agree or disagree about whether this is or is not that. But to make it routine mm-hmm. is to change our system. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit it right on yeah. the head. To make it routine is to make us a parliamentary system. Yeah. And we're not that. No, absolutely right. And it, now We're especially not that if the way to do it is back into it by changing uh, impeachment into a thing that's just
2: it, it, regularly done. It feeds into the partisan hatred and all of that. That's not good. It, yeah, the, the British system is very different from that in terms of how they move forward. Um, we, your second point.
1: Yeah, yeah, Uh, I I just wanted to point out that having heard a few people lamenting that John Roberts wasn't more active and and that sort of thing, I think, uh, once again, the branch of government that uh, made the best case for itself was the judiciary. He was measured. He was judicious. He handled questions on paper, uh, some of which were so silly Mm -hmm. that it was difficult to take them seriously. He managed the Rand Paul question that was intended to, you know, name the whistleblower without fanfare and all of that. And I'm remembering the Clinton uh, impeachment where Justice Rehnquist, I think drew more attention to himself than Roberts did here. You remember he shows up with the gold stripes on his (laughs) robe, which was not something that prior to that he'd been doing. I I just once again say the modesty and humility and uh, respect that the chief justice showed here is something that's worth, I think, praising. Uh, I, I know others wanted more out of him. I don't know what they wanted though. He
2: made himself a non-factor, right? He left this, which is, which is he, exactly
1: what the constitution I think that's said right. he should yes. be. Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. No, I, I felt that way as well. Even at the end of the day, he, you know, he, they were thanking everybody, so the, the, the yeah. leadership was thanking, and then they turned to him, and he thanked a whole bunch of people, and he said, I hope to see you again under happier circumstances. Right? And I think that's the right way to say it, to say this was a significant thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to do this, but we did our job. Um, yeah, I think we just said there, there were some
1: adults in the room, but boy, oh, boy, uh, and when we get to the State of the Union, there's a, Congress is a playpen, mm-hmm. and, 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 and the adults in the room are, are few in number. And it felt to me like he was one of the adults in the room that that tried to demonstrate decorum, uh, wisdom, a sense that this was something bigger than these particular people that the, the, you know, well, you two institutionalists, that the institutions at stake here were really important. Yeah. And, and, and
2: worthy of respect his handling of Rand paul's question was just was fantastic right because it was on the spot he i mean obviously he'd thought about it before but he handled it really well and moved on it didn't make it a big issue mm-hmm. i mean Rand paul again we talk about congress and their behavior that felt like something like come on man you, you know better you know what the law is and if the law is going to mean something right don't put the supreme court in this position where they've got yeah. to yeah it's it's the lawyer who who makes a claim he know is
1: going to be objected to yeah uh and and then knows the jury can't forget it when the judge tells them they must
2: yeah i think he handled the elizabeth warren question with equal grace right where that was also one where she probably shouldn't have asked that i mean that didn't Mm. didn't help the proceedings and um yeah he also handled that read that one and and we moved on Mm
1: no yeah
2: yeah uh should we final thoughts on this? yeah because you're right we gotta gotta keep moving yes all right uh phil anything any final reflections
0: uh, no, I mean it'll be interesting to see you know I watched the vote uh I said no, and then I started talking. <laughs> we like for our final reflections I was no and then and in pure true academic style i I went on uh, as I sat watching and I watched it with my son today. he was home from school watching the vote, and it was you know not exciting, uh but it felt significant. It felt like I was watching you know history, and I was glad that i that I got to see it, I was glad that Jack got to watch it. Um, with me, I do feel like you know. Unlike this is where you and I disagree a little bit, Nick, is that I, I think that Mitt Romney will come out of this history. Will will look on him. Uh, fondly, I think there are lots of people involved in this whole process that history will not remember well, um, and and you know there are a handful that I think will will stand out. But it, it does it does feel you know so Mitt Romney again. It should be pointed out that he's the first senator in the history of the United States to vote to convict a president of his own party. That's never happened mm-hmm. before. Um, you know, it's it's big. It's, it's one. It's a one. Sm- it's one small thing. But you know, those are the sorts of things that we, we'll look back on, in 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 terms of you know the things we remember about Watergate. Now, those those I big mean, moments. Today was. I know we got to move on,
2: but that, I think it's a really important point. So nobody in the Clinton, no Democrats in the Clinton impeachment, and many of them came out and said that what the president did was wrong. None of them voted to impeach, and that I think that's again something right. to to Romney's favor to, and
3: to- Johnson as well. Right, going exactly. back to Johnson, yeah. yeah. To yeah. convict,
0: right. And in, in the Johnson impeachment, no Democrats voted yeah. to convict him yeah.
3: either. See, I, real. Yeah, yeah, yeah what, of course. Yeah. Um, I, you're I, an I academic actually, at heart, Nick. Well, uh, yeah. No, I actually agree with you, Phil. My, I, I guess my, which I, I I did not make a good uh, uh, point in, in clarifying, or uh, yeah, clarifying my point. Um, I do think that um, history will look on him favorably because um, we tend to do that after a, a, a certain period of time. My point is that I I think he knows that or that's at mm-hmm. the forefront of his mind in more of a uh, a politically strategic way as opposed to a uh, principled way, I guess I would say.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, even in the speech talked about history and how history would remember this. I, it's just it's where your cynicism about human nature and my like <laughs> naivete about human nature collide. Right. Fair so- enough.
2: All right, let's talk <laughs> beer. So we, we've got some fantastic beers today. Uh-huh. Phil, why don't you start us off? Are, are you having a beer from a famous brewery today?
0: <laughs> I, I am. I'm having a beer from uh, a Treehouse Brewing Company so in in Massachusetts. <laughs> huh? Yeah, how about that? Um, so yeah, Treehouse, you know, is is has a, this fantastic reputation. Um, if you can get your hands on one of their beers, uh, it's it's worth doing. It usually involves going and waiting in line at the brewer at the at the brewery to to do that. But so I'm having Lights Out, which is um, not one I've had of theirs before. It's an American Pale Ale. Uh, Tom, what's the difference? I feel like I've asked you this before. What's the difference between an American pale ale and an an IPA? Is there an obvious difference? in uh, American pale ale, I think, is a
1: meaningless term. It's usually a little lighter than an IPA. But now we have West Coast and East Coast IPAs, which is to say there's subcategories of the American IPA. The answer would be it's usually lighter uh, in alcohol content and hoppiness than an IPA. Mm.
0: Yeah, certainly the hoppiness is noticeable. I, this is a really, this is, I'll go ahead and get it out there. I would definitely drink more. of these. This is a really good beer. Um, it's got the hoppiness, but it is not as, you know, in your face. It's a, it's a lighter drinking beer. Um, really enjoyable. It's a, it's, it's very good. It's, I don't know if it's like, I've had several of their beers. I think I like some of their others better, but, um, this one's, uh, very high quality. So we were also, would you, you said you would have another, right? Just Okay. okay uh, absolutely, okay. I would have. I would have multiple <laughs> need, more. This is yes. sort of like
2: the Cisco and Eber
0: thing: thumbs up or thumbs
4: that's
1: down. Right, yeah. Forget all this one through five. Yeah, right. I'll have uh, one or I won't.
2: So we are also having some Treehouse beers. So uh, a quick shout out to my 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 family has come through with my uh, Nick and Alethea family members uh, who are moving from Boston to Chicago brought us out a bunch of Treehouse beers. So we tried a Julius, a Green, and a Haze. Um, Tom, you have the best palate. So why don't you start with some of your reactions and then we can chime in. I don't don't know if I have the best palate, but uh, your family came through
1: for me too. So (laughs) I'm going to just throw some love at them. Mm -hmm. Um, These were great beers. Uh, Each of them had a a, a kind of a creamy Mm -hmm. mouthfeel. Really nice, uh, balanced hops, uh, a bit of citrus. You could tell that they were different, which isn't always true. You know, some of these breweries... They, they make 10 IPAs, might be good, but yeah. they're all really comparable. These are, you can see that they're different. I, I, the last thing that occurred to me was we've had some Hop Butcher beers and some Transient Artisan beers. Boy, oh boy, does the Midwest hold its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these are fabulous beers, but a lot of the other ones
2: we've yeah. had are too. Good too. Yeah, it's, it's the Haiti for good beers. Yeah. You talked about like the finish, like you could get some of the bitter finish on, yeah. and they were different. Like you said, each each of them had a slightly yeah. different Bitter finish. Mm-hmm. I think I liked. I think I might have liked the haze the best. I yeah. I'm just drinking it now, and yeah. I think I'm I'm with you on that. It, the double. It's a haze is a double IPA. Right. Uh, Julius is, is the most bitter at yes. the end. Yes, uh, and most juicy kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Nick, what was your sense? Yeah.
3: No, I have to agree with you guys. Yeah, I um, I I, I tend to go for the more citrusy one so yeah. I assumed I would like the Julius the best, which was phenomenal, mm-hmm. but. The other two were really good. Yeah. And the haze, especially. Yeah. It just has the right combination, the right flavor profile. Um, yeah. It's, it's fairly bitter, I yeah. would say. Oh, definitely. A different um, kind of bitterness. Yeah. But, but a, a good kind. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's well balanced. Well, Tom, you've taught us. I never
2: liked double IPAs until you came on the podcast and started introducing us to some that were really good. And this fits in that category because of drinkable, not over the top yes. bitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's the West Coast IPA.
1: A lot of grapefruit and a lot of puckering sourness yeah ah man i don't dig that stuff but but that. these oh wow they're they're not bitter they're not grapefruit they're citrus yeah you know orange tangerine oh boy these are really good beers mm-hmm. so thank you nick and Alethea. <laughs> yes 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 <laughs>
3: Um, I am putting the reviews in now because I'm going to start doing that during the show so I don't forget. (laughs) Um, If you guys want to check out our reviews, uh, you can find us on Untapped on on iOS or Android. Just search for Barstool Politics on there and you'll find all the reviews.
1: I didn't get my last word on topic number one. And I just want to say the following. I am overjoyed that my beloved Constitution has survived Adam Schiff, Jerry Nadler, (laughs) Donald Trump, And the cast of characters in Washington. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, the biggest thing for me is we got through this without ruining something. We're not done yet. (laughs) Well, I know we're not done yet. And I know there's lots of disagreement, but
2: at some levels it worked. And long term, if if five years from now we look back upon this and say we've learned something from it, then I think you're right. We've yeah. we've really it has proven to be the Nick is again. This is your double. Re- so sweet this is This <laughs> is
0: this is where Nick and I agree. This is where my cynicism meets his cynicism about learning things. Uh, All right, let's yeah. talk caucuses. I was say, we're not talking. Well,
1: about here's what state of we did, here's better. what we didn't learn. Teach <laughs> somebody uh, on a whim, right? At least one hopes we didn't. And, and I guess that's all I mean. I think yeah. the Constitution survived. That's good. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, Nick, jump to the speed, or we're not doing speed, we're going to do another 20 minutes on another topic, yeah. and then we'll, uh, caucuses, and we'll do the same for the State of the Union. So mm-hmm. on Monday, the country's eyes turned to Iowa to watch its caucus system officially open, the Democratic presidential primary. Yet Iowa's caucuses turned into all sorts of <laughs> chaos, forcing Iowa's Democratic Party to delay releasing the official results. The problem was their with their fancy new smartphone app that was designed to quickly collect the results and theoretically allow the party to get the official count out to the public more quickly. Well, it didn't happen when the results were finally released. And and as of taping, we still don't have final results. Uh, Pete Buttigieg was in the lead and Bernie Sanders right behind. But upon reflection, it's fair to say that we all lost through the Iowa caucuses. Arguably most alarming was the speed at which conspiracy theories spread suggesting that Bernie Sanders was getting submarined by the Democratic establishment. Interestingly, those claims were spread by both Bernie Sanders supporters and some key Republicans. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham jumped onto the conspiracy theory train, asking, quote, What are the odds that the voting system completely crashes and it has nothing to, to do with Bernie, a blowout and a Biden crash? Phil this couldn't have been a bigger disaster for the Democratic Party. Much of the country was already losing patience with Iowa and Monday's disaster only reinforces the argument that the primaries need to be restructured. So what was your as is a New Hampshireite uh, what was your read of all of this? Uh, what was your read of all of this?
0: Well, New Hampshire is probably loving this <laughs> <laughs> because the idea of of claiming that we're the first uh, in the nation and that we get to you know uh, be the arbiter of this stuff and that the primary process is better than the caucus process this is all this is all great for us. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, so I, I I'm kind of torn on this uh, in, in a couple of ways. It, it was a, it, there was no excuse for the sort of debacles that that occurred having said that, it's not all that new. I mean, it was 2012 on the Republican side. It took them two weeks to declare a winner. I mean, it's oftentimes confusing. And and the expectation of the American public that we have results and we have them instantaneously is pro- – it is problematic. <laughs> that is something that we need to like, Amen. you know, get over. It's okay if – let's get it right, even if it takes, you know, a week or two weeks to get it right. And, and so to that to, – I would like to praise the, uh, the people, the leaders in Iowa who after the debacle basically said, we're going to put this on pause until we can confirm everything, get the numbers right and, and release it. So th- to that extent, it, it's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of problems both with with the caucus process itself with Iowa as kind of the leader of, of this whole process. There, there are issues with that as well. Um. And yeah, for the Democrats, I mean, I think for from the Democratic side, beyond those sorts of questions, you rob your potential frontrunners of the chance to sort of bask in this moment, right? Ideally, what would have happened is you would have had some clear-ish leader or two leaders and they could be you know they could take the go to the go on the news talk about this move on to New Hampshire and you could start the process of kind of coalescing around uh, you know at least a couple of can the idea that no one dropped out after after Iowa is kind of unheard of um, and so to that extent i mean that, they were the Iowa caucuses were always gonna get overshadowed in a week in which there was a state of the union and an impeachment address and a and a Super Bowl. Um, but uh yeah, I mean it it does feel like a missed opportunity for the party a little bit but for for the candidates who who maybe were relying on this for Pete Buttigieg this is this is a disaster right he's in in the sense that he put a lot of money and effort into winning Iowa counting on Iowa being a springboard into the next states he has not invested in the other state he's behind in New Hampshire and he's going to get blown away in South Carolina unless he can capitalize on this and so he's going to win and then have totally missed the opportunity. He lost Monday night. Tuesday night's gone to the State of the Union. Tonight's gone to impeachment. And and yeah, he's he's in not. He he can't be. Pleased yeah, it's
2: important that. to note that millions are spent in Iowa, way more than New Hampshire. Right? I mean, these candidates are spending lots and lots of money to make this argument that Iowa will be the launching point, and they lose all of that. Um, I don't know. I this is an institution I want to break down. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I just want to—I'm uh, the oldest guy in the room by a very long shot, and sometimes my memory doesn't work as well as I wish that it did. Bernie's never been hammered by the Democratic establishment before, has he? I don't uh, think
2: so. no, well, just just, right the time. Time. <laughs> just the one time. Okay, just the one time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Can we just say out loud that the name of the group that made the app is Shadow yep. Inc.? <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, my God. Yeah, this is—it's—it's it's too good. No. This is like from a novel, right? Mm-hmm. Shadow Inc clinton uh uh you know workers doesn't work once again bernie's the guy that takes it on the chin because it doesn't oh boy the
3: thing the biggest takeaway for me from this whole thing is yeah the the process itself was an unmitigated disaster but more than that we want to talk about the mess that is our our domestic political system while there isn't necessarily a clear winner yet or all the results aren't in all of the you know major contenders started saying that they they were they were the victor in some yes. way shape or form yes. and, and like how, yeah like, Phil, how thinks, do you... Phil thinks
1: Pete Buttigieg uh missed a chance he declared himself the winner <laughs> right. before they even had a debacle he was right. lucky right. that he, won he was before yeah. the debacle yes
3: and, and, but like yeah. you, you can do that I, and I get yeah. the politics behind it but if you're going to try and coalesce a party or coalesce a a, a a, a major portion of the electorate behind your particular platform. And, you know, you talk about conspiracy theories and things like that, and they were, each candidate had their own narrative to tell, and all of them were different in some capacity to say that the system was rigged against them or there was something that yeah. was holding them back that caused this to happen, or that they were victorious without knowing the actual results. This is a problem for yeah. the electorate in general. <laughs> it I'm just, go, go ahead, Bill well it's
0: it's your i think your point is 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 really valid i think it's a it's a good test for presidential leadership right in a time in which there is chaos and the institutions are in some level of upheaval who's going to have the sort of calming even hand and and Think about the greater, you know, the larger picture as opposed to their personal self-interest. And some people pass that test better than others. Buttigieg did not necessarily pass it. Biden, right? So Biden, who was like questioning the validity of the results, that's a terrible approach to take. Others, you know, Klobuchar and Warren, there were others that that handled it better and in taking this, you know, approach of. Uh, more even handed. We're, yeah. we're going to, you know, results will come I, when they come. I think come. that's a really
2: important point. I was so yeah. disappointed, both in not Sanders, but Sanders fans that started spreading these conspiracy. I mean, it was yes. so disturbing. We, we criticized Trump, rightly so, for embracing conspiracy theories. And then when, when there's an opportunity on the left, yeah. Bernie fans can't be more conspiratorial than, than Trump at this no, point. You can only have one conspiracy theory. It's you all the system can handle. But also <laughs> Biden is right now. To Biden's credit, today he came back and, and threw out a he said he got, you know, he, we got a gut punch, right? So he said we actually took it on the chin. If he could just jump to the 21st century, that'd be better. Um, but it, but he also was engaging in some of that conspiratorial thinking. And it's it's really bad. The Democrats have to avoid that. It's not good. It's not good for the system or for building support for the ultimate nominee. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. The, the the statistics show, the surveys show that uh, close to half of Bernie's supporters uh either definitively have said they will not vote for the the Democratic nominee if it's mm-hmm. not Bernie or have said that they're not sure it will depend on who gets nominated that's not a no. good model for success right i mean that's the that's for the Taking Democratic my toys party and going at home. Least. it's um, it's
2: absolutely bad and i think right. that's a real critique of of sanders and his supporters that this is what's going on
1: um how- so so there's uh for the super bowl all these prop bets right how long will the National Anthem go. What was the first phone call Joe Biden made yesterday? I have a theory.
3: I'm hoping it's the same one I'm thinking about. What are you guys thinking? I'm, I, I Joe know. Biden
1: has to have an Obama endorsement to oh, succeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I'm guessing uh, before he called his wife or his mother uh, or or anybody in Iowa, he called Barack Obama and said, I'm on life support. And the only thing that keeps my campaign alive is an endorsement from you. I don't think he's going to get it.
0: Yeah, I think that's but, right.
1: But but I'm betting that he so, he's certainly got to be canvassing for that
2: right now. I right? think Obama might have seen the call and then hit that the t- button. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll
1: call him back I'm on vacation.
2: <laughs>
0: so let, uh, let, me make a, I, let me make an argument for why Biden should be worried, but that he's not – he shouldn't be panicked yet. Um, and, and that argument is that uh, – well, a couple of different things. One, the, going back to uh, – I looked yesterday morning. Going back to 1972, if you eliminate incumbent presidents, um, uh, going back to 1972, the winner of the Iowa caucus has gone on to win their party's nomination. Do you, what's your guess? How I mean, What percentage of the time? Do you have a guess? Let's say that again. The nominee – the the person who wins the Iowa caucus goes on to be their party's nominee. How often does the winner of the Iowa caucus actually win the party's nomination 35%? by the end of 35%, 36%. Yeah. It's a yeah, it's about 40 it's about 40%. So so more often than not the winner of the Iowa caucus doesn't win it. And in fact, there were there have been a number of examples of people coming in fourth and and winning. Those aren't, you know, that's not it's your, your goal. goal. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're better oh. off coming in first than in fourth. And and so I think Iowa was far more important for a Pete Buttigieg or an Elizabeth Warren because Biden has name recognition. And, and when we get to South Carolina where there's diversity, where there's you, you haven't had candidates spending two years cultivating relationships with people, um, I think Biden can survive this if – the narrative doesn't latch on to this idea that Biden's out, right? And so, if Biden can avoid that, if if he comes in fourth again next week in New Hampshire, then I think you're right. I think he's he's it is time for panic. But uh, if I, I think he can still survive it, even if he comes in, you know, just the top two in New Hampshire it, to turn what it you around, have, you have
1: to guess um, that in South Carolina he can ride the Obama coattails even without the endorsement.
2: Yeah, right. That's a much more sympathetic right. crowd. To that claim yeah. than say Iowa is. That could bring him back. The other interesting thing, so you talked about the importance of Iowa. One of the things that came out, uh, or not the importance of Iowa, I was talking to Suzanne Cha today, and she was saying that oftentimes presidents are second-choice candidates. And she said Buttigieg is a classic second-choice. So when you looked at the data, he wasn't always loved by everybody, but a lot of people liked him as the second choice. And she was saying throughout history at Iowa, a lot of presidents wore the second-choice candidate. George H.W. Bush, I mean, there's just a whole list of them. And she was saying, that's interesting and could mean that Buttigieg might have more of a chance because he may not be everybody's favorite, but a lot of people like him more than the other candidates. So so we'll see. We'll see what he does in New Hampshire and elsewhere.
1: Have you seen the Iowa map? That is to say which counties went which directions? This was one of the most interesting things to me. Sanders won where there were big cities, to the extent mm-hmm. there are big cities mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. Iowa. Buttigieg essentially won all the rest. You know, there's there's some war more in rural it. areas. I think a lot of people see... Uh, uh, Mayor Pete, as the person who changes politics and personality, and I think a lot of people see Sanders as the guy who changes politics without changing personality. He's abrasive, he's mean. Uh, I, 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 tell me the last time you've seen the guy smile or or he and act Stalin and have never smiled, never. Right?
0: Haven't you? Haven't you seen that picture that yeah, he and uh, I took together? It was <laughs> like a giant a grin bizarre. on his face. He was but, delighted. But
1: so, judge is a really <laughs> canny. Interesting guy, mm-hmm. who I think people could see as a middle ground candidate. So this yeah, the second absolutely. choice thing—if if you want somebody who's electable and has some progressive cred, he could be a really interesting choice for you. Yeah, and it looks like a lot of Bam. rural Iowans said, "I can't go all the way to
2: Sanders, but I'm done with this Biden." Thing. And that's an important development because we're talking about a gay man who's mm-hmm. running for office in rural America is saying he seems
3: like a reasonable choice. That, that's a that's a really important development. He will never be the front runner. Absolutely. He, he, he won't. He just won't be. Realistically, he will be a vice presidential could he, be could yeah be. he will be part of a ticket i would i would put money that they're going to push someone like bloomberg up to the top of the, the oh uh, no don't yeah. don't nick It's gonna it's no. gonna happen it's gonna
2: happen the one thing that booty has going for himself is he stopped going without a jacket now he's wearing suits and jackets a whole <laughs> different look for him it really changes things he just looks more presidential
3: I, they, they are eating themselves alive oh this is what this happens point. yeah, yeah it, it, it you're right it's this is always what happens but now it's you have the candidates that are are being the engines of that too yeah. and you have the media reinforcing it this they do not have enough power amongst themselves to beat trump you're going to need someone who is pretty much a republican uh in terms of of uh policy stances but comes off as a Democrat. Who is not Biden? But think too. about how much of a disaster the Republican primary was
2: when Trump ran. And you know it was a chaotic, and everyone was like the Hillary machine. It's going to be over. And you know I, I think the Democrats will come through this as long as it's not Sanders, oh, yeah. and they'll be okay. <laughs> uh, we shall you know I, I
1: just would come back to Phil's point uh, made earlier. Um, uh, it turns out that 35 percent of all millennials think violence against rich people is okay if it redistributes their wealth and something approaching 70% of them think rich people got it by exploiting people. If they can mobilize that base, if if Sanders can really consolidate it, and and Warren was a huge loser in Iowa, I'd argue in some ways even a bigger loser than Biden. Boy, oh boy, if you get the people that are so committed, uh, the point I'm coming back to is, either you vote for Sanders, you vote for nobody, but if you're going to vote for Sanders with that sort of
2: passion, boy, oh, boy, that's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, no, that's true. Mm. Should we do a quick review of our second beer? Yes. Yeah. And then before we jump to the State of the Union. Mm-hmm. I kind of take that we're going back to double beer reviews. Well, this is, this is a unique we'll episode, all right? All time. <laughs> yes. So Tom, you brought, only largely because it's a transient and we need to talk about this beer real mm. quickly.
1: Yeah. Uh, speaking of Iowa guys, uh, the name of this beer is Hank <laughs> uh, from among my favorite brewers, Transient Artisan Ales, it's a coffee porter, and only now as we're drinking it are you really tasting it, yeah. because mm-hmm. we had all of that hoppy beer, uh, and and you're sort of, yeah. I hate to say this because I'm going to sound like Charlie Trotter or somebody like that, your your palate's clearing a bit, and now you taste this. This is terrific beer, mm-hmm. balanced not so much coffee that it's bitter. It's almost uh, soft. Like, as yes. you. I mean, Wonderful. it's
2: just, oh, mm-hmm. really yeah. good beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every, every transit we've had has been just a fantastic beer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I heard a person say recently, there are some breweries that make a few great beers. And there's some breweries that make lots of great beers. And I mean, in other words, some are up and down, you know, you get one beer and you say, God, that's a terrific brewery. Then you have two more and they're terrible. hmm transient never misses Mm -hmm.
2: they're like hop butcher they never miss they're that good good one so it's really good all right let's move on to our next topic the state of the union so what a week nick it's only wednesday uh and there's so much on tuesday president trump gave his third state of the union address it made for a surreal moment as the president marched into the same house chamber where he was impeached just seven weeks ago as we have discussed the president's annual address came two weeks after arguments on the Senate floor about whether he should be removed from office and a day before the scheduled vote. With acquittal virtually assured, Trump used the speech to make the case that he has halted America's decline and took credit for the great American comeback. He projected a robust optimism despite the longstanding Democratic effort to force him from office. Of course, there was lots of drama and outrage as Trump appeared to ignore Nancy Pelosi's outstretched hand at the opening of the speech, and she responded in kind by defiantly ripping up a copy of his speech at the end. The substance of the speech was a blueprint of the likely campaign Trump will run, interestingly hitting on a lot of a number of core Democratic issues like health care, family leave and the environment. Nikki cares about trees, trillion trees. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There was also a curious moment where Trump awarded the conservative radio host Rush Limbaugh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Kind of, I don't, I don't even know what to think about that. Uh, Apparently, it was disingenuous if you listen to the Democrats, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right? Phil, there's no question that Trump brought his own unique style to the speech. What were you? What did you make of it all?
0: Uh, so uh, there's so many aspects of this to talk about. Um, I, I mean, I think the the the, the overarching point that I, I feel like is, is worth starting with is that this really was different. If you go back to previous states of the union, um, they didn't look like this. Uh, and, and, and I mean that in lots of ways. This was a campaign speech, right? I mean, he's in full campaign mode. Um, The 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 approach in general, um, and and we can talk about. I think some of a lot of what he did was smart, right? Touching on uh, there was this this bet that I can touch on these kind of uh, you know. Voters that he needs that he had kind of lost before suburban women, and you know he's not going to win all minorities, but he needs to chip a few away, and and so t- touching on those, and then shifting into this dramatic, like hardline, you know, uh, sort of right wing immigration type stuff is speaking to a whole nif- different audience. Um, so. Uh, the the approach was different. The the like game show style of it all. The like we're going to stop mid sentence or mid speech to reunite a family, and now we're going to stop to give a medal to surprise Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> here's a you know here's the presidential medal of freedom, and that that's not how these have gone in the past. So that's all different. The the oh, atmosphere yeah. is different. I mean, the fact that Republicans began by chanting four more years, it, it felt like a Trump rally. It felt more like a Trump rally and less like a state of the union address. Now that also applies, you know, again, the, the, the Nancy Pelosi stuff, the, you know, the, the tearing up of the speech all like in every way, it just feels like we have entered a different era of politics, of, of approach to politics and, 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 um, I I, I kind of want to. I mean, there's so much in the speech and Rush Limbaugh and all of that that we can talk about. But I feel like so much of that shift in the era of politics is encapsulated in that moment in which Nancy Pelosi tears up yeah. the speech because it was an example that I like. I I know I suspect that you <laughs> hated it, Nick. Right? Um And and I, I could. I mean, I, that's. But it it is an example, and and I don't think you're necessarily wrong for hating it. But there were all sorts of people who ate it up, right? And it was this moment where it's all about the spectacle and less about the the substance of the speech. Yeah. Um, and and I, I have arguments for why what Nancy Pelosi did is good. I have arguments for why it was terrible. But the fact that we're focused on that – um, is is kind of telling about where we are in politics, the level of the partisanship, the level of the the sort of spectacle and showmanship, and less about the substance. I, I found it all from the substance of the speech, the presentation of a presidential medal of freedom to <laughs> goddamn Rush Limbaugh, to uh, to the every aspect of it. I came away from feeling uh, dis. Disillusioned, dispirited, like really discouraged by the I whole thing. I pretty
3: jazzed up about it. no. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, realistically, yeah, I, I I did hate that particular moment, but I also hated the fact that he didn't shake her hand. It, it's it's this yeah, this right. spectacle, you know, just base affirming bullshit that it's the same we do. Bl- they're doing all the same things, and playbook, yeah, yeah. And there was you know this very game show kind of Oprah mentality to the whole thing, and then just the the pure partisan divide between everything even on things that they realistically should both be in support of um i i, I, I we talked about this last year i think um i i hate it from beginning to, like in the end i i i did like i felt energized after it was done and then i thought about it, i go i like i'm not energized for the right reasons like this isn't there's no depth to yeah, it, it's absolutely. just it was it was a campaign speech, and I, the second you kind of step back from that and realize that there's no substance to this anymore, you know, none of of what's being said necessarily matters. You know, we're going to have the facts later on, and that's going to get torn apart um, uh, on a partisan level. I we don't need this anymore. Like it doesn't. It mm-hmm. serves no purpose. You you don't deserve absolutely. to. <laughs> You know, stand up there, it, it, regardless of what your your political affiliation is. You don't deserve to stand up there and continually lie to us about what's going on, or report your put your own spin on it to affirm your you know the 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 core the the base of of your political alignment. This serves no purpose for us anymore. We can get the information ourselves.
1: Yeah. We don't need you. That's well said. Probably more accurately, yeah. the information ourselves than and from the speech um boy I, I think phil killed it with with that set of points so maybe i'll <laughs> oh shucks <laughs> it is different it has changed everything nick's exactly right i don't know why we do this anymore it's kabuki it's it's sort of crazy um so let me try a different tack uh, I, anybody who's listened knows that i am not a trump apologist uh but there was some good news and and it's a shame that in in an atmosphere where people won't shake hands and where they tear up speeches and this almost juvenile stand up every phrase to clap, criminal justice reform is a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's a bipartisan big deal. If Trump was a bigger person, I think he'd have said we work together to produce this. But the production of it is something that prior presidents couldn't do. Uh, while we can debate the degree to which the economy is better and the sectors in which it's mm-hmm. better, it is better.
2: Uh, and the causal it, factors for that, right? The causal was, factors, yeah, yeah. Right,
1: yeah. right, right, right. Uh, again, we can debate whether or not this preliminary agreement with the Chinese is a good one. Mm-hmm. There is one. We can debate whether USMCA is better than NAFTA. Uh, I, I guess what I'd say is it. I hate that we're going down the road that the partisanship totally eclipses anything that is productive in american politics today because it seems to me if you could listen to if you could weed out everything except the facts there are some facts that are at least worth
2: acknowledging mm-hmm. irrespective of who produced sure. them. sure and debating right to having a real conversation yeah, about the right. economy and all of those things right it, it feels to me like that Trump wanted to play a certain game yeah. and now we're all playing that game and yeah. and you know shame on the Democrats and shame on Nancy Pelosi for doing that she should have been better in that moment if the Democrats are going to argue that you know we, we approach politics differently Trump then you can't do that and and Phil's right you know I you know, on on blue Twitter people were loving this right this was a you know a, a moment of defiance and that she showed up Trump and she's getting in his head. But the reality is that everybody loses with something like that. That's and right. again, yep. and, and they're all playing the same game. You know, Democrat I mean, sorry, Republicans chanting, Trump not shaking hands, tearing it's all it's all of the same thing. And when she every, tore it up or when she was practicing to tear it up. <laughs> she practicing beforehand? Yeah. Do you not see that video? No, but yeah. that makes sense because you got to tear it the right way. If you tear up a speech wrong, it's no good. <laughs> it's no good. But I mean, all of this and everybody wins. By losing, so Nancy Pelosi wins by doing her antics. Trump wins by doing his antics. But but who loses the country? Because we're not talking about real things. We're not talking about real legislation. Right. We're not talking. I mean, it just it's it was very dispiriting. It was
1: troubling. Well, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure she wins by losing, and I wonder if that's not the basket of deplorables moment leading into uh, an election. That is, uh, I, an awful lot of people on the other side probably said. This is a perfect example of the disdain these people have for us Mm -hmm. that you you have gone so far outside the boundaries, Uh, not shaking hands is really bad. I believe me, I'm totally with you on that. But standing up, Mm -hmm. tearing up the speech and dropping it on uh, the the podium up there for everybody to see that forget whether it's norms or that sort of thing. uh, It's a message to a lot of people. And I don't know, I, I, I have a suspicion there's an awful lot of people that, that say, you know what, if that's who she is, I'm voting the other way. Oh, yeah. And who, who knows? But remember, I'm sorry, so, just one yeah. more. Uh, remember, he almost hit 50% in approval rating mm-hmm. this week, too. So, so it's not like you've got a president with 39%. You got a president with 50. Mm-hmm. And now you got the other party at least energizing even further the base that this, and I'm with you totally, Phil, here, this was a campaign speech was
0: aimed at mm-hmm. the the place where I'm I, I, I don't disagree with with any of that the, the place where I'm torn about all of this is that uh, we we are critiquing Nancy Pelosi for doing this but it is in response to a president who has essentially shredded norms right who has repeatedly, repeatedly yeah. attacked yep. her called her as is uh, you know referred to her as you know crazy completely Nancy agree. all sorts of other, of other stuff it has been And we tend to – we've on this podcast even not praised him for the craziness, but praised him for the strategic – uh, success of that, right? That his craziness, um, it it appeals to the base, right? It's 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 bad for the country, but it is smart, right? In a in a strategic sort of sense, and I see that in Nancy Pelosi, right? Like she's she's done this this one little gesture, and she managed to essentially rob Trump of the news cycle because that's what everyone is talking about instead of his speech. It's something that, in a Trumpian way, we would look at and yeah. say that was brilliant right from a strategic if it, if standpoint. it works. now yeah the right, problem and right, right. to come back to well so i would argue it did work i would argue that what has what has happened is that people aren't talking about trump they're not talking about what he said in the speech they're talking about nancy pelosi and and this moment of defiance and people are either hating it or loving it but it's changed the the sort of the it the, undermined the a good speech now yeah the the problem to come back it undermines an say?
2: otherwise powerful speech about the economy, right? I think that's, you know, we're not talking about that. And if I'm Trump, I'm angry about that. He's going to get lots of chances to
1: say that. That's true. It's the but sort here's of- what he's also going to get, a campaign television ad that shows her tearing up the speech mm-hmm. behind him. So I, I'm with you, Phil. I, maybe it turns out that he en- she energized the base. They loved it. And it's terrific. The question is whether or not there was enough of but- that to overcome. Mm-hmm. Listen, the, uh, an awful lot of people don't care what he said they care what happened. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that happened was she right. tore up the speech and, and showed disrespect. And I'm not, please believe me, he's been disrespectful in so many different ways. You can't catalog all of them. But what comes out of this is video footage that I'm guaranteeing you, you want to, here's my bold bet. Maybe I'll be as wrong as Phil was. Uh, if that's not, not in possible. a campaign ad soon, boy oh boy mm-hmm. oh it already is
2: he was he already tweeted out something today they had a, a the like a, a music montage to it all mm-hmm. and it ended with her tearing okay. up the speech so it's, I mean good. it was instantaneous wow. mm-hmm. right. but I will say like uh, on blue Twitter they were so, it, I think it's it's it just reinforces that everybody wants that this partisanship yeah. Democrats were loving this R-
0: well, and so that, that's the word of yeah. warning to blue Twitter. Cause I've talked to other people who ate it up and loved it as well. The word of the, the warning from somebody who, who values norms, right? The, 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 the problem is that if you think that Trump's approach and the sort of shredding of, of norms and the impropriety of it is awful. Then, if you uh, if you adopt those tactics to defeat Trump, then then yes. you then Trump has won, even if he's lost, right? right? And so, correct. It, yeah, it's it's yeah. Yeah. Well it's well
2: said, Nick. Right. It's your example of being in prison, right? Not not only were we all in prison, but we've all embraced prison behavior. Yes, um, all shanking
3: each other. Yeah, and yeah. no, absolutely. And this was
2: this was a moment where. In hindsight, the Democrat Nancy Pelosi shouldn't have done that. No, it's, it's they're just clear. not as good at
3: it. They're they're just not. <laughs> they're they're I, like I, realistically, and and you know mm-hmm. to some extent that's to their credit. You really shouldn't be, but yeah. you know like don't you? You just you can't play that game because they, they are going to exploit it to you know the the highest possible degree and you're just yeah. not going to be able to but come but nobody back makes that
0: so if each side Sorry. Owns like i, I was just saying nobody makes that argument about the republicans uh, would... though nobody says trump shouldn't be doing this because the democrats are gonna exploit it right you're this is devastating to you when trump does it we're like that's brilliant he fired up his base and so it, it's weird to me that we then turn and when the democrats do it we say it's not brilliant that it can be bad on both sides right but but it can be if it hmm. Yeah, it, right. It is bad on both sides. Yes. The question is who's the base is that's watching right. it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and it seems to me there's a different base watching Donald Trump's misbehaviors hmm. than there are watching Nancy Pelosi's. Uh, I, maybe I'm wrong about that. I,
2: I, whoever the Democratic nominee is, I hope they're more careful uh, because there are there are suburbanites who uh, suburban Republicans who could be decisive in this election who may look at somebody who engages in Trump behavior and right. say, which I mean, which, which Bernie certainly could, right? I think mm-hmm. there are a lot more parallels between Trump and Bernie than we want to acknowledge uh, where somebody who is less inclined to do that could really could benefit them in an election. Mm-hmm. If, if each side has 45% that are call uh, yeah. or 40, whatever yeah. it is
1: that are deeply connected to them. And the middle is a relatively well-educated set of independents it seems to me the way you get that middle, the the decisive vote, isn't. And and Phil, I'm completely with you here, to to ape the behaviors of the worst of the yeah. people running. Yeah, I, every time I see Bernie Sanders, I'm waiting for him to do the Brezhnev thing, where he takes his shoe off and pounds the podium with it, or something sure. like that. <laughs> and and this is why I think uh, uh, Buttigieg, he's he is really canny, mm-hmm. and he's really photogenic, and he wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And and I find myself. Uh, That appeals to me a lot. That says something, right? The the dilemma that the Democrats face,
0: though, is that uh, by nominating someone like Buttigieg, you pick up some moderates – but you risk losing the people who are so pissed off about the what we've what, yeah. we, what we've gone through in the last yep. four years that a bland Midwestern Pete Buttigieg doesn't get people fired up to to go vote, or you know, it's the people who are you know the the Bernie supporters who say they won't support anyone else, and so you know that that balance is yeah. the hard, and I think that's where. People tend to talk like they know which way that's going to go. And I don't think we do. I don't think that anyone knows, you know, what the balance is in in terms of of getting. And that's where having a candidate who can somehow speak to both of those audiences is important, I think.
2: Yeah, I'm they, reminded they, of the 2008 primary, Democratic primary, uh, Obama versus Clinton, and how divisive that was. And all the conversations I had with people who were either Hillary supporters or Obama supporters who pledged they would never vote if the other one got it, and they all did. I think that's right. And so, you know, if, if the Bernie Sanders supporters are are so on uh, on on the the Bernie train that they wouldn't vote, I, 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 I wonder about that. I, I think it would be easier to have a moderate candidate and maybe they hold their nose to some degree they're not inspired by it but i think they would like up. but i don't know Just i think they'll
1: hate trump more yes and they love the candidate running against him and i think what motivates their vote yeah. isn't primarily who they're voting for it's who they're voting against uh, i'm with you yeah. Phil. who knows maybe i'm totally wrong about that but Uh, It's Machiavellian. It's better to be feared
2: than loved, but you don't want to be hated. Yeah,
1: but Democrats
0: are Democrats are also really bad at that. (laughs) (laughs) There's a long history of them just not showing up when it should. You know, when they should. Four years ago is an example, right? Like it was anyway. So, should we talk about pizza?
2: Yes, let's do it. All right, so we're going to finish today by looking at two recent events that I believe can be categorized as serious constitutional crises. I'll read them to you, gentlemen, and you will decide which is the more grave constitutional crisis. Constitutional crisis number one. Apparently, the Constitution allows you to shoot socialists. So last week, Representative Rodney Garcia, a Republican lawmaker from Montana, claimed that the U.S. Constitution allows socialists to be jailed or shot. Specifically, he stated, quote, in the constitution of the united states if you are found guilty of being a socialist member you either go to prison or are shot unquote i was not aware of this and tom this really seems like something you should have told us before phil started pallying around with bernie sanders
1: it's a hidden provision in my beloved so constitution
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right it's buried back there in all that thick stuff <laughs> with the stuff you, you don't get really to read that's right yeah. constitutional crisis number 2 Brett Kavanaugh has forced bad pizza on the Supreme Court. Brett Kavanaugh has left his mark on the Supreme Court, and it's bad pizza. When Kavanaugh arrived at the Supreme Court, he noticed that the cafeteria did not serve pizza, and he was deeply troubled. He found it deeply problematic. Uh, In his capacity as the junior member of the Supreme Court, Kavanaugh sits on the cafeteria committee, which is wonderful, (laughs) and was able to add pizza to the menu. After doing so, Kavanaugh noted his legacy is secure and stated, quote, it's fine by me if i'm ever known as the pizza justice but here's the bad news (laughs) the pizza is apparently terrible a recent review ranked it as quote just below pizza hut and just above the average gas station offering it's government pizza (laughs) a more serious constitutional crisis there is not so i've included a picture of the pizza for the gentleman and maybe we'll tweet it out but tom you need to start us off today which is the more grave constitutional crisis
1: My friend, never has a simpler question been posed to me. This one, this is a lob pitch the pizza. (laughs) Now, let's start with there are no socialists in Montana, so we don't have to worry that anybody is going to really die.
0: die. Why do you think there are no socialists in Montana? It's because they've all been shot.
1: these are the people deciding the most important questions <laughs> in American life today. And bad pizza could produce a bad mood, yes. which could produce a bad decision, which could affect us in ways the eight people in Montana, one of whom might be a socialist cannot. So with apologies to my friend, Suzanne, who I think was all over me. You remember the live one, we talked about dead people versus right, right, something yeah. else. Right. And, and I was all for the something else thinking the dead people were okay <laughs> because they were lawyers. Mm-hmm. Well, here the dead people are socialists in Montana. So I'm going pizza. Going pizza. Nick?
3: I don't really care about socialists. (laughs) Um, No, pizza is definitely a bigger issue. I'm assuming that the taxpayers are paying for this pizza. So I expect solid solid pizza uh, uh, at the Supreme Court. Um, It looks really terrible. It's something that you would get it like if you went on a field trip to like a museum or something (laughs) like that um yeah i just really have a problem with bad pizza so i'm gonna go with the pizza fair enough perfectly
2: i think that's the right answer (laughs) phil where
0: where are you where are you at i I, i'm I'm gonna have to come down on the bad pizza thing this is this is a significant although i do like the idea the phrase pizza justice comes up as knowing brett Kavanaugh, i I like the idea of an alter ego of brett Kavanaugh as pizza justice (laughs) who takes to the streets at night (laughs) in in a cloak yeah, and, and, and solves pizza-related uh, crimes.
2: Yes. I, I think we're all we're on the same page. I also think the pizzas is, is the terrible. I will say the one interesting thing for me was when Rodney Garcia came out, the Republican Party couldn't distance itself more quickly from this statement. They were out there with their constitution saying, this does not represent the Republican Party. You can't shoot socialists. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, but we'll work on it.
1: <laughs> I just want to say that it is a real thing. That they have a food committee, a cafeteria committee. Jesus. It always is the junior, uh, junior justice. Uh, uh, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I think, introduced frozen
0: yogurt. Is, so is I, I have a I have a clarifying question: Is it a of the nine justices a subset of them are on the cafeteria committee, or is it like Brett Kavanaugh no, no. with like the office staff who yes, are sitting on it the it is ca- Absolutely, bat. the okay. latter. It <laughs> is <right>. the
1: junior <laughs> Supreme Court justice and a whole bunch of cafeteria. Uh, this I is, love it. I'm just telling you, my yeah. beloved Supreme Court. This is gotta, gotta love it. That's you be just fun. have to love this. <laughs>
2: it's a form of hazing, but Kavanaugh
1: has embraced it. Good for yeah. him. Right. Good for him. Yeah. And listen, he also takes notes at conference. Because right. it's the nine justices at conference, there are no uh, other oh. people in the room. So the junior justice, man, they got to step up, oh, take the notes, yeah. get the cafeteria going, and hope to God somebody gets off so you get off those committees. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was a busy week. It, it,
2: it, unbelievable, oh, unbelievable. When you think about everything that happened in three days, yes. Yeah,
3: I just want to go on record that I said this would be done in ten days, but that's. That's just whatever <laughs> on that note. <laughs> um, guys, if you like the podcast, have questions, comments, beer, suggestions, anything like that, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Beers that we try, you can find it untapped on iOS or Android. Uh, look for Barstool Politics on there. The podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Uh, our merch line on teespring.com, which you can find a direct link on our social channels. Uh, different T-shirts, uh, hoodies, mugs. We're gonna add more stuff as time goes on. Um, anything that I missed? Tinfoil hat, Tin foil tinfoil hat. hats. Yes. <laughs> we just gotta get Teespring to make tinfoil hats. Right. <laughs> uh, I got a
1: subcontractor. <laughs>
3: uh, Tom, thanks for thanks for coming. Oh, always a joy. Back. Mm-hmm. Always a joy. Anything else, guys? This was fun. Cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>